Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. And we are recording and we're talking about hair today. Good hair, bad hair. Because it's a snow day here on the east end of Long Island. Good hair, bad hair, no hair. (laughs) (laughs) No, everybody here has hair. Everyone has hair, right? I watch my hairline recede on a daily basis. Yeah, mine's getting a little thinner. What do they call that, Joe? All business in the front, party in the back. Yeah, well, <laughs> I have, you know, I I proudly wore a mullet for my uh, for my wedding picture. It's 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 out it's out there. Yeah, well, you're from that part of the world where mullet mullets are the state haircut. Yeah, this isn't so much a mullet because it's just long all over, and I just I'm clinging to those to the last bits of hair that I have. So. There's a town in Pennsylvania, Mullet, right? It's Mullet, Pennsylvania. I'm not familiar with that, but it wouldn't surprise me. Let's put it that way. That's a great name for a really podunk town, isn't it? It is. Mullets are actually apparently Back for some mm-hmm. odd, unforsaken reason making a comeback. And young people want mullets. Fortunately, Alec is not one of those people and has quite lovely hair. Yeah. Yeah. That's and we, which we were discussing, like he's putting us to shame here, by the way, one of my favorite things every year is some sports publication puts out the hockey haircut top 10. And, <laughs> and you need to, you need to go look that up online because it is fabulous. The, the, the hockey haircuts are like mullets to uh, an nth degree. And, and it's pretty amazing to see what happens, but yeah, Alec is just uh, styling, and he's got he's got the full head of hair and it's poofy and I, I'm just jealous. I'm jealous <laughs> of you and your hair. Everybody likes to be described as poofy. Yeah. Yeah. Your hair. I can still just act in the office. I could wear this hat instead and cover it up. I'm jealous of you <laughs> oh, and your like hair. Like in the year. And your youth and your uh, just everything. I hate you. <laughs> hey, Alec, do you want to sit at Joe's table at lunch? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so here we are again let's do our lovely introductions that's um bill sutton here running the record button again hey bill hi annette i'm bill sutton i'm the managing editor of the express news group and we also have joe shaw here today hello joe hey annette i'm joe shaw i'm the executive editor of the express news group and Catherine manu aka georgie is back in the house hey georgie (laughs) hey annette it's georgie i am one of the publishers of the express news group and I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us today is Alec Jaferta. And Alec was a loyal intern with us a couple years ago, and he has since sort of transitioned into being one of our loyal freelance writers. And we love having him around. Um, and Alec is on with us today. Hey, Alec, with his good hair. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, everyone. So where are you today, Alec? Are you, um, are you in Southampton? Uh, I just moved into New York for the first time in the city. Hooray. Transition. I'm a little nervous, but yeah, lived in Southampton my whole life. Wow. So. Yeah. So, hey, everybody. Uh, how's 2022 acting for everyone other than 
unstable internet. Well, it's a winter wonderland today. I mean, the winter's here and it's like past holidays and, you know, anybody familiar with the east end of Long Island, it's traditionally like this gray, cold, um, not very welcoming time of year. But right now, like Bill previously said, we have this like beautiful winter wonderland going on. So that's kind of fun. It's pretty spectacular. It's like all clinging to the trees. It's got that look, right? I also, I don't know about you guys, but the beginning of the year, maybe some of it is because we're going through all of the last year's newspapers, um, compiling our entries for the New York Press Association Better Newspaper Contest. But it's a very reflective time of year for me where I'm like kind of thinking back to the last year, what I accomplished, what I hope to accomplish moving forward. So it's, I think it's kind of an interesting time. Any resolutions in this room? No, I don't no. need that. Okay, good. I don't put pressure on myself like that. Yeah. Mine's to recycle, actually. It's an easy, I can fix it overnight. It's like, I can do that simple okay. loving fruit. Yeah. We'd well, there like, we go. We'd like weekly updates on that, Alec. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bag of garbage totally. showing up at your door every every week, Joe. I mean, My resolution is to improve our Instagram account with Alec's help. Oh, good. Oh, is that right? Oh. Yeah, we already have met about it. <laughs> you know what my resolution was? It was actually something I started in December, and I'm actually really sadly proud of myself for this. But I've begun putting my shoes away in the closet, hanging my coat up in, in the closet, putting things away. When I take my tie off, if I'm wearing a tie, I hang it up properly. This is a big step for me because I'm one of those people that just shoot, just throws everything everywhere and shoes. Um, Dana regularly yells at me because I have 10 pairs of shoes over a course of three or four weeks sitting out in the, in the bedroom. And I don't do that anymore. I've sort of retrained myself now to put things away and I, I like me better. That's nice. I wish I had 10 pairs of shoes. <laughs> Bill needs a new pair of shoes. You know who has a lot of shoes? Frank Costanza, our former editor. All right. This is, this is, you know, I have a lot of clothes and I confess to that, but um, I can't beat Frank with the number of shoes. He has a lot of shoes. He had a lot oh. of sneakers too, right? Yeah. He's, he's a shoe guy. Well, you know an awful lot about him, don't you? That's yeah. Well, you get to know people after working for them, with them and for them and alongside them and, all right, there we go. Don't ask me secrets about Bill. <laughs> well, you, well, you don't you don't know the big ones. <laughs> well, speaking of secrets, we're kind of talking about secrets in a way today because um, mm -hmm. our topic is is a story that Alec wrote for the paper. Um, this would have been in the um, January sixth issue, and it has to do with um, with police cameras, body cams, and um, this is a initiative that is kind of taking hold. Kind of, I guess you could say it's sort of an outgrowth of the Black Lives Matter movement and the the interest in police reform um, to get body cams on cops, so that there's a bit more of a record when when things happen. Um, and uh, I guess at this point, we're talking about like West Hampton Beach. I think in your story, Alec, you'd said that he, that's the only department on the South Fork that has an operational body cam program. And then the others that are looking to go that direction in this year of 2022 is Sac Harbor, Southampton Town, and Southampton Village Police Department. And they're all looking to roll out body cams. So I wondered if you wanted to talk a little bit about what you learned in doing this story and sort of where the different departments are in um, implementation of this program. Absolutely. So yeah, that's all correct. Um, 
the addition is Suffolk County is also rolling out body cameras. So theoretically, every agency that covers the East End or every agency in Southampton and Sag Harbor will have body camera. Um, the exception is East Hampton. The town and village police departments both cited obstacles from costs to union agreements in saying how they don't have plans right now to roll out the programs. Um, they both cited that they need grant money or different union agreements to move forward in the process. Um, but West Hampton Beach is kind of the, the flag leader here <laughs> where they've uh, had a body camera program since 2016, but it was never fully functional. It They struggled with the camera is not updating or syncing to the cars. And so in May of this year, the new chief, Chief McManus, um, updated the system and brought in a new camera made by Axon uh, to really make sure the West Hampton Beach cops were wearing cameras that worked. Um, so they've had the cameras for a while. They just, he updated it this year. Um, in Southampton town, they're piloting a program. Right now, two or three officers wear them every day, which is not that many considering they have a lot of officers in their in their um, agency. And the village is also working on it as well in Southampton. Uh, in Sag Harbor, I think he's piloting it as well. Um, he only patrols to, in Sag Harbor, the chief only sends out two officers at a time on patrol. And so he only needs to buy two cameras, but he said he'd buy four to have two on the officers and two charging. Um, and so there is a, an interesting conversation is the difference from a big department like Southampton Town, where they have to buy a lot of cameras versus Sag Harbor, which only really has to buy four. I've said this before, I, I think there's two things uh, to think about here. I think this is really fascinating. And I, and I think um, the impact of, of body cameras on policing is a, is a really deep topic that we could probably just discuss for an hour because there's, there's a lot of um, evidence out there suggesting that it may not really change policing all that much, but it, but it does, or at least police behavior, but it does give you a document that you can work from when you're going back and looking. But to me, buying the equipment is one step, but there are two other steps that are really crucial. One is having an infrastructure in place for dealing with the video and, and, and being able to process and store the video and be able to provide that video um, when necessary, not just to within the agency, but to the public, if it's if it's going to be considered public record, that's one of the debates. And the other thing is the policies that go along with wearing cameras, because so many times I, you know, in na nationally when we talk about body cameras, you hear about incidents involving police, and they say that they had their body cameras turned off, or their cameras weren't on, and and I feel like. Those are the things that, that having policies in place that mandate their use and make sure that they're going to be used at all times is just as important as buying the cameras, maybe more important. Absolutely. So one of the criticisms that Suffolk County's policy has faced um, is that in the county, the policy is that officers have a lot of discretion over when they can turn them on. So they can choose to turn them on depending on their assessment of the situation, whether they think it will be a risky situation which is a weird assessment to have. I mean, you obviously make that assessment as an officer, but to think that won't be a risky situation and then it is and your camera's off. So different count, different agencies have adopted different policies. Um, I don't, West Hamptons is not out yet and Southampton Town doesn't have a policy yet either. And so it's it'll be interesting to see how the policies in these areas evolve. In terms of storage, um, 
I know Sag Harbor's plan is to link it into the current surveillance system the village has over like Main Street with security cameras. Um, and in West Hampton, I think his policy, he was going to use the same system that maintained the dash cameras on the cop cars um, for storing the footage. It's probably going to be less of an less of an issue here than it would be like in a big city. But but you still you, you still need infrastructure in place to deal with that video. It's not just storage. You have to have somebody that can go in and grab that video and um, you know, with, with the new pol New York state policies um, about, you know, with, with evidence, and this was part of that whole bail reform thing too, is, is if, there's, if there's evidence that's going to be used in a case that has to be provided to the district attorney's office um, and defense, you know, attorneys in a very short period of time. So you need somebody that can go in. I think we should just make Cole part of the show. I, he's just barking at a cop. <laughs> Uh, so you need somebody that can go in and process that video too. Storage, I think, is a big issue, but um, but it's the processing too. So Southampton Town actually hired a person to do it. Um, their next budget includes a person to manage the video. So I'm curious, is there is there any kind of a mandate? I mean, I think it's interesting that you have Sag Harbor, Southampton Village, Southampton Town, West Hampton Beach all looking to do this. And East Hampton saying, no, it's too it's too difficult right now. I mean, is that you know, are these are these departments, do you think, going to be required at some point to go go there and do that? And I wonder if knowing that these other jurisdictions are starting programs this year, if East Hampton will be like, oh, wow, maybe we need to refigure this out and come up with a a way to do that. So both East Hampton chiefs, the village and town de declined interview requests. Instead, they both sent emailed statements. So I only have the reasons why they didn't do it. But I know in SAG, I think SAG Harbor's chief told me this. Um, and it was a sentiment about among many of the chiefs that if the state were to mandate it, they'd have to pay for it. Um, uh. And it's not paying for it. There's grant money available, um, but they're not paying for the programs entirely. SAG Harbor got some grant money, right? I think West Hampton or Southampton. I'm not quite sure. I mean, I think you talked a little bit about the budgeting and, and the costs. I mean, so what are we talking about for a, a small or a medium-sized um, police department to implement this kind of program? So for West Hampton's program, I think it's 1% or less than 1% of their total budget. And I think it's like a very small percentage of their equipment budget. So it's not expensive for a small department. For Southampton, um, we didn't get into costs. So, so it was like $14,000 a year for West Hampton Beach. I'm looking at your story right now. Does that sound right? Yeah, that, that's correct. It's not a lot of money. No, it's not. Um, in Sag Harbor, the chief declined to comment on the costs because they were in negotiations still. But um, yeah, I can't talk about that. And you have to pay somebody, though, to go to, to deal with the right. footage. That, that's like a salary, too, right? Yeah, I mean, if the footage has to be turned over to the DA's office um, in a very short time frame after any incident happens. The problem is, how do you know when an incident has happened? Um, like in the case of George Floyd, um, the original police statement on the events was that a man died after a medical incident during a police interaction. That's a quote from the statement. And it says body, cam body worn cameras were on and activated during the incident. My question is, would that body camera footage have ever become public if there weren't people recording the incident as well? Mm. And so, like, while DAs have to get the footage and while 
um, the footage exists. It's knowing when, like knowing when to get the footage, knowing when right. to submit that public records request to have the footage. And how long do they have to hang on to that footage? You know, how many years worth of body cam videos do they need to store in order to be covered? You know, yeah, that's all. That's all what makes this complicated. And and Alec, you you hit on it earlier with the county. If you leave it up to officers, this is also an aspect of it that I find interesting. There is a labor uh, element to this too, where you have to negotiate this out with the police um, unions as well, because. Clearly, this is going to impact how officers are um, are uh, disciplined at different times. And so, you know, but if you allow a, an officer to turn the camera on and off at their discretion, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to catch. If you have an officer that's doing something that you'd want to catch on camera because it's a disciplinary situation, if that officer has the option of turning the camera off, that doesn't really seem to make any yeah, but, sense. But on, on the other side of the coin, you would you would think that the majority of officers who who aren't engaging in any you know um, illicit behavior would would want yeah. the, those cameras on and want the footage so yeah. that if somebody comes back and, and makes an, an allegation or an accusation against them, then they they have the footage that shows that nothing happened or that they didn't do anything wrong. You would you would think that there would be that you know. The, the majority of people would want that to happen. Minerva Perez from Ola, who, you know, Alec interviewed for the story along with Lisa Votino Tarrant as two people, you know, who have advocated for the body cameras. Um, I mean, she pointed out that this is just as much a tool for officers to say, see, nothing happened here exactly. as it is, you know, in the other direction. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, some of the research on the topic also points to that. So in New York City, an examination of New York City cops wearing body cameras, um, a study found that officers who wore body cameras were almost 40% more likely to report stops, so interactions with people, than people who did not wear body cameras. So it does, it did increase officers' likelihoods of reporting interactions with public, interactions with people. Um, what body cameras do not do, and this is from a study of the DC police, so 26 or uh, 2,600 officers, um, is change the likelihood of using force or um, mm. citizen complaints of officers. So those two things are unaffected, use of force and citizen complaints against officers um, by body cameras, which seems to suggest that it doesn't actually change decision-making by police. It changes if the decisions they take are reported later on. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. I'm intrigued by the question of, you know, you, the, the point you guys just made 
about, well, if you're a good police officer, you'd think you'd want the camera on so it will defend your actions later. I wonder if every police officer shares that sentiment because there may be a feeling that the camera can lie from time to time and, and that, that when an incident occurs, there may be a natural tendency to, to hold the officer to a higher degree and, and, and that, that having, you know, when you have video evidence of something, it's unflinching and it may miss nuances of a situation and it may, it may make it harder for a police officer to, to defend themselves in circumstances, even if they feel like they didn't do anything wrong. Am I, I'm, I'm not saying that very well, but do you know what I mean? I'm not sure every police officer, even the really, really good, the best police officers would be thrilled about wearing a, a camera. I kind of get what you're saying. If something really bad goes down with a, a suspect, if that's not caught, that part of the video is not caught, then a reaction that's very forceful may look out of proportion if you don't have the initial interaction that happens to be in the frame of view. Is that what you mean? Yeah. So in Sag Harbor, the chief was pretty certain in saying that he believes that the camera footage will back up what the officers do. I think what he said was 98% of the time. And I did press him on like, how do you know that? He just said he knew it from experience. Um, and so chiefs certainly certain to believe, certainly seem to believe that the cameras are going to help their officers. The West Hampton Beach chief also, also said this. He said his officers like wearing the cameras, that it provides a second backing to their decision-making. So the chiefs are pretty steadfast in asserting that their actions will be backed up by the cameras. Um, but since, I mean, the program is so new, so I, I'm just not sure where that evidence is coming from. Um, but it's gonna, going to be very interesting to see play out. Do we know, Alec, is is the the video footage from a police officer's camera public record? It is. Um, by by default, it is. Yeah. Um, I I assume that that it. I wonder if it'll be subject to the same kind of things where the police may say, "Well, it's an ongoing investigation, so we can't release that at the moment." I wonder if that's uh, sort of a an asterisk on available to the public or public record if they have the option of, of not releasing it if they feel like it's part of an ongoing investigation. I'm not sure I have the answer to that. There was a case last year, and it wasn't in New York State, so I don't know what the New York State laws are, but there was the case last year where where the police showed the family the foot. This was a case of somebody who, who died um, during a police intera- interaction. And the, and the police showed the family the footage, but didn't release the footage to the public yet. So I don't recall what the reasoning was, but I, I think, Joe, you're right. There's, there's going to be instances where they're going to want to hang on to that footage for a while. But I think what's interesting is like, you just made me think about this, is I don't know if this is what your, where your mind is going, Joe, but the idea that as a newspaper, are we allowed to foil for video footage. Sure. And I mean, if it's public record. Yeah. So that's going to be an interesting thing, whether they're going to allow that. And, and would that be something, would we think about putting that footage with a story online? Oh, absolutely. Sure. Are, are there, are there newspapers doing that? Yeah, they are. Definitely. That's how that, there was an incident, I think in Rochester or it might have been Buffalo. Sorry, I'm forgetting if you confused any of you from there, Bill. Um, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Two very, two very different areas there, Alex. <laughs> Police like shoved a man to the ground and 
I, I know for a fact that the body camera like footage was the headlining image on a lot of newspaper stories from that area of police pushing this man to the ground. Um, Rochester. And so newspapers are definitely using it. At, yeah, use, newspapers are definitely using it as a as a graphic. So that's interesting. I see. So that's something we're going to probably start considering then, right? Except that, again, where, where the rubber hits the road here, um, when we file FOIL requests for anything, it can take weeks to get months. responses, months. And, and no matter what the law says about timing, it, it becomes a matter of resources. We just don't have time. We don't have that. When it comes yeah. to dealing with video and having to parse a video to make it available to the public, I, I just wonder I, I just wonder if the, there's going to be the kind of infrastructure in place that's even going to make yeah. foiling for, for the video feasible. Could you foil the DA at the DA's office instead of the department or that? Because the DA I mean, has to have it as well. It's a great question. I think some of these questions we're going to have to try and get answers to because uh, I think we definitely would love to see. Um, I, I can think of different circumstances like uh, a DWI even. If a prominent person is arrested on a DWI, and by the way, we might have an interest in that because... Uh, for news reasons, but now you run into. Didn't that happen when when Linda Cabot was arrested years ago? I mean, it was. Yeah, yeah, the former town supervisor. It wasn't body cam, but it was it was dash cam video that was released, and I'm trying to remember the the specifics surrounding that and who released it. And did you guys get that video? We did. Or did you have to fight for it? I don't. I don't. Remember. I don't recall, but did I think we, we did foil for it. We ended up. We ended up getting it, and we put. It crashed our website. Yeah, I believe when we, we put foiled it for it, if I remember correctly, and and uh, because it was dash cam footage, we had it. But but I also think about you know I I can't help but go to you know especially in the area we live if there's if there's uh, body camera footage of an interaction with somebody famous on a DWI stop. There's a lot of publications and websites that would be eager to get that as quickly as possible. And, and that could become a yeah. real resource challenge for the department to provide that. And, and it starts to, you know, it starts to have, create a backlash potentially. Yeah. One of the reasons why they don't, they don't supply headshots anymore is because there were um, unscrupulous websites that were posting headshots and making people pay to have them removed. So, I mean, you could have the same thing with video. Oh, wow. Yes. Yes. You're yeah. the business model, man. Yeah, and I was always troubled by the fact, by the way, as just a little sidelight, that the the state, instead of dealing with those websites that were, in my opinion, blackmailing people, that is should be criminal. That should be a criminal act. Instead of doing that, they just allowed police departments to stop issuing all headshots from arrests. And that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. No. I mean, I mean, there are times where you want a mugshot, where you where you need a headshot of a suspect, and to just give the police carte blanche to to withhold those because there are bad actors out there using those photos for nefarious purposes. Attack the the nefarious purposes. Exactly. You know, the, pr the, the practice, not not the overall. Yeah. Yeah. I think it opens a can of worms, Alec. It really does. There's 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 a lot of I, I think it has the potential to do real great good, but I also just think there are so many questions that need to be answered. 
Yeah, I mean, I my the way I boil it down from like this is a quote from somebody who I interviewed for the story, Ms. Faltino, um, that it's body cameras are a first step. They kind of allow us to see like this is the quote ended, but this my perspective is that they kind of allow the public an extra eye into the actions of officers on the east end. They're not going to fix the actions of officers. They're not going to like correct behavioral problems, but they will allow people, the public, to see what's happening in traffic stops, in incidents, uh, which I think is just as important. There's a certain irony too. The police are using, I know Southampton Village, we had a story a few weeks ago about Southampton Village police using um, cameras all over the village and how they're using those in law enforcement to catch criminals. Um, having eyes on everything seems to have a beneficial impact in some ways. I mean, a lot of people would start to object to the... It feels a little, it feels a little Orwellian, but you can certainly see the advantages too. It's a little big, big brother. Well, conversely, it's interesting. I watched, Adam and I are watching this um, show on HBO about um, uh, like the in mayhem and murder in the Times Square region in the seventies. Mm -hmm. And people just disappeared because there were no yeah. eyes on anything back then. So I think that's an interesting debate, you know, like uh, just the fact that how easy it was for um, young women, especially to totally disappear in the Times Square area in the mid seventies and then be found dead under a bed somewhere in Jersey, you know, um, just, it was, it was sort of like this and we were, and Adam and I were just kind of, you know, we were kids then, but just reflecting back on how, it was it was kind of a weird wild west kind of thing going on because you could you could just disappear into thin air in new york back then and 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 whether or not no one would ever find you on yeah. a camera anywhere you know? i mean now between video cameras and like credit card receipts and easy pass and, and you know, your cell like, phone and your cell phone you know except for in very private moments you hope um, you know, you're being monitored. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. I talk about a cashmere sweater near my phone. All of a sudden I open Facebook and there's cashmere sweaters everywhere. So <laughs> we're going to give out Alex's address on, uh, in New York City. <laughs> and, you know, Alec, Alec touched on it, but George Floyd is just a, a shining example of this, that right. 30 years ago, that case would have disappeared. And we would not have known what really happened there. And the only reason we knew, the only reason we knew was that there was a witness filming it and shared it on social media. And that applied the pressure to the police department to, to, to acknowledge that something more happened. If that, I mean, if, even if you had body cameras, in that circumstance, there's no guarantee we would have ever heard uh, what really happened to George Floyd. So um, it's it's a it's a stark reminder of what the stakes are here. I mean, even in the Breonna Taylor case, like a lawsuit was filed in July of this, of 2021 that claimed that Louisville Metro Police Department officers lied about there not being any body camera image or footage of that raid that occurred in 2020, um, where she was killed by officers. Um, and so that's like an ongoing contention. Like, does the footage exist? How do we know if the footage exists? How does the public know if the footage exists? Like, is suing departments the answer? Because how do you know they're telling the truth? Like, these are all questions that kind of come out of this. Like, we're wearing cameras, they should be on, but how does the public know they're on? And how does the public trust that 
if something happens, that footage will be released and a statement will come out. Like, how do you know those? That, that takes a lot of trust that history and evidence kind of indicates that shouldn't exist. Yeah, like that's what I, you know, it seems like, this seems like the departments are doing this willingly, which is a great thing, but, you know, are they then going to stonewall when someone tries to actually get the footage from these cameras? And say, or use excuses like, oh, the batteries weren't charged. We thought it was running and it wasn't, or we oh, we forgot to attach it or we forgot to turn it on or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oops. We erased it by mistake. I mean, it's, this is not a panacea. I, I mean, I think it helps, but it, it's, it's not a, it's, it's not going to solve everything. That's for sure. And it, and as I said, I think it raises uh, more questions too. And, and, you know, as an aside, um, one of the recent examples of, of the body camera footage was the right around Christmas, the shooting out in California of the the girl who was shot through a wall um, in a dressing room in the yeah. store with the, I thought that it was interesting. Now see, that's a case where the police did willingly release the body camera footage. Um, and along with the narrative of what was going on, I, it's a very difficult video to watch, um, even though you don't, see the the girl being shot it was clear that the use of force in that case i, I mean I, I i thought the use of force in that case was justified uh it was somebody who was going around the the store attacking people um and i think it helped it helped mitigate the response to that particular incident and made it seem more like you could you could understand the police officers in that case. It was a very tense situation. Um, so I think in some in some cases, it'll very clearly vindicate uh, police actions. But the question is, when it doesn't, will we have access to it? Well, I like to give the police the benefit of the doubt. I I really do, and and I know that that there are there's always issues. But but <clears throat> yeah, I think you're right. They're 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 going to be more apt to release footage that shows you know, um, correct behavior or, or defends their behavior, um, then, then they might be in, you know, apt to show footage that, that, that might not if, if something goes wrong. But I, I think, you know, to Alex point too, you know, should, should we have to sue? Should we have to foil? Should we have to this? Maybe we shouldn't have to, but those avenues are available. And I think we're working all of that out now as we go along and as we enter this 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 new phase uh you know what are we going to call it phase of of policing or phase of of watching the police that 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 you know hopefully um you know those things are worked out and avenues are are paved so that um so that the public can get that footage when when it wants to and needs to yeah. So Alec, I'm curious, um, when you spoke with Minerva Perez and Lisa Votino, they're the activists in our community who advocated for better policing and, and more transparent policing. What were their takes on the idea of body cameras? Are they thinking that this is going to really make a, a big difference? Did they give you much input into what their thinking was as far as advocating for them? Yeah, so they both emphasized that the department chiefs were really cooperative with the reform committees in Southampton Town and Southampton Village, that department chiefs were enthusiastic about kind of the different reforms they were proposing, um, but also that body cameras were already kind of a thought that Chief Skronecki in Southampton, he was already thinking about body cameras before these committees were formed. Um, 
And Miss Votino in particular said like she's supportive of body camera. She thinks they'll do a good thing, but that they are a first step, that the policies of the department and the use of force policies also have to follow in line. Um, and so Miss Miss Perez also kind of really emphasized that like the relationship that her organization has with departments is strong and that she doesn't want like the fact that she's pressing her body cameras to kind of get in the way of that relationship. And it, it hasn't gotten in the way of that relationship. Officers have been really cooperative with the demands of wearing body cameras. Um, and so uh, it's been positive, positive attitudes for both of them as well in terms of like what they're seeing from departments. It's going to be interesting because it's community policing here too. And, yeah. and it's, it's a different dynamic than you have in the big cities. Uh, I'm just, it's going to be, it's going to be a real interesting thing to watch. And I think that as Bill, as you said, I think the overwhelming majority of officers out there are doing the right thing. And I think that, that uh, it may well be that having camera footage for some of these interactions that, that go bad uh, will help demonstrate to the public how difficult a job they have too. Um, That's part of the thing too, is we don't know what it's like to try and deal with the circumstances that police officers deal with on a regular basis. So maybe it'll help bridge that gap. a little. Uh, there's just so much that we, we don't know yeah. in terms of how this is all going to play out. And, you know, it, it'll be actually incumbent on us as, you know, a local news organization to kind of stay on top of how it's going. Thank God it's digital and they don't have to use videotape. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's so funny you mentioned that because right, right at this very moment, my husband is in the other room. He, he found in our basement a giant thing of VHS tape. So he is going through them right now. And one of the ones he just found was um, me in the whale boat race in 1996 wow. for the Sag Harbor. <laughs> wow. I think we found our, our wedding, lots of pictures of my daughter screaming as an infant. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, that's his project right now is talking. Yeah, that's kind of ironic. I just thought that. And get it's, all uh, that converted to digital. Yeah, well, that's what he's trying to do, but we don't even know what's on it. You know, none of them are even marked. So um you have a yeah. working VHS player? Yeah, he just got one. I think did he find one at the dump or I don't know. He got we do have <laughs> one. It's kind of just hooked up and um yeah, so he's going through it and then we might have to figure out how to digitize all that, but just send it away to somebody who does it for you. I know, yeah. I know, but it's like, yeah. And that, I still have um eight millimeter footage that my dad, my dad shot in 1950. Oh my. You know, and, yeah, and um, all that. So fun times dealing with media. Well, we know what your project for this year is then. Well, that's his, I'm not touching it. Uh. <laughs> thanks, no thanks, I've got a day job, so. Mm. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 
27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.